We're going to be um, looking at a passage from 1 Peter. So let me read that to us. Chapter, 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 9 to 12. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who has called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh, which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. So what is missions? How does Pinewood, Pinewood's Presbyterian Church join in missions? What is our task? So you're having a world missions encounter weekend. So surely what missions is should be clear to everyone. Um, and you might be thinking that, it's clear. Or you might be thinking, why is he even raising that question? What's he talking about? Well, the truth is, is that there is a fair amount of confusion. It's one of the most commonly referenced Bible verses about missions is what is often called the Great Commission, Matthew 28, 19, and 20. You heard that in Sunday school this morning. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. Uh, and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. That's referenced uh, in your missions brochure a couple of times. A recent survey of, of churchgoers in the U.S. by Barna found that 51% of those surveyed said they did not know the term the Great Commission. And only a little over a third could correctly identify which passage Great Commission refers to. And that was with the multiple choice question. So sometimes in churches we've heard that everyone is a missionary. And in fact, if you look in here, there's something similar uh, under why have a missions conference. First, we're all called to be missionaries and to share the good news of the gospel with the people of the world. That's motivational, but it's, I think, a little bit fuzzy thinking. So we'll talk about, is that actually true? What definition of missionary is in mind? So also in your brochure, you talk about you want to send people as missionaries. So if, you're, if everyone is one and you're sending some, so it's a little bit contradictory. So let's look at these verses from Peter's letter to the churches and see how they can help us answer the question, what is missions? 
So the first thing that we should notice is that Peter begins this passage by quoting language from Exodus, from Exodus 19, verses 5 and 6. And in that passage, God is speaking to Moses, and he says, Now, therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession among all peoples, for all the earth is mine. And you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words that you shall speak to the people of Israel. So as we think about missions and of the Great Commission, we need to see that it's part of a story of God's history. It's not something that occurred in a vacuum. We participate in missions in God's mission of realizing, of making real here on earth his kingdom. God's plan shown in the Bible is to establish, to grow, and to extend his kingdom. So what we know as the Great Commission is not the beginning of the story, but it's the middle. It comes at a turning point. Now let me ask you, how many of you, when you were in school, really enjoyed making an outline of a story in your English classes? Okay, yeah. There's usually one or two. Um, how many of you really enjoyed doing book reports? No. <laughs> okay, good. So if you were to outline the story of the Bible, how would you do that? So briefly, the Bible is creation, fall, redemption, consummation, or con completion. And if you want to go into a little bit more detail, redemption can be thought of, thought of as preparation, Israel, Christ, and church. The coming of Christ, the King, the Messiah, is the turning point of the Bible and the turning point of history. But his first coming is not the climax. That's coming with his return and the inauguration of the new heavens and new earth. So Peter's quoting Moses, quoting God's words to Moses, firmly anchors this passage in Bible history. He's saying that the believers who read this letter are part of God's story and part of his plan. So secondly, these words show how God's mission is accomplished. It's through God's calling of people and making them his own. So one of the central things that the Bible repeats, that God repeats throughout the Bible is his promise, I will be your God and you will be my people. We are his people not because we deserve it, not because of what we do, but because we have received mercy. What it says in verse 10, once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. And the passage makes clear that we as the people have a purpose to proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. So here, in this verse, uh, verse 9, proclaim means to, to give a message, 
to give a message like an angel. It's, it's the same kind of language that's used when the angels announced to the shepherds the birth of Jesus. And that message that we're to proclaim is the excellency of God, the beauty of his plan of redemption of a people, the glory of Jesus, our Savior. As Psalm 145 puts it, God's people are to make known to the children of man your mighty deeds and the glorious splendor of your kingdom. And we can see from this passage that we're to live in a way that's compatible with what we say. In older language, our lives should adorn the gospel. We're called to be in line with Jesus' own teaching so that those, the Gentiles, the unbelievers, Gentiles in this passage, will see our good deeds and our honorable conduct. Jesus teaches us in John 13, 34, and 35, a new commandment I give you, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you are to love one another. By this all men will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. After talking about our glorious choosing and position, Peter turns to very practical ways of loving one another. He talks about our relationship to government, talks about our marriage relationships. He talks about turning away from, um, in chapter 4, turning away from living in sensuality, in drunkenness, in drinking parties, in lawless idolatry. It's, we're called to live in a way that puts Christ on display. And thirdly, it's important to point out that this passage here in 1 Peter is addressed to the church. It's a plural passage. You, you plural, not you as an individual, or a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession. It's plural, not first of all to individuals. So Peter's words do give us a framework to answer our question, what is missions? So I'm going to say it's participating in God's mission of kingdom growth that began in the garden, that was promised to Abraham when he was told, in you all the families of the earth will be blessed, that grew in God's calling of people Israel to himself, and that was fulfilled in the coming of Israel's true king, Jesus. And now we participate in that mission, that mission of God, as individual believers, of course, but especially as a church. And that framework helps us to understand better the Great Commission and also to begin to answer the questions I asked at the beginning. How does Pinewood's Presbyterian Church join in missions? What is our task? So let's read the Great Commission again, starting in Matthew 28, 18. Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations 
baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. So first of all, it's helpful to point out that this is actually a command. It's not a suggestion. Jesus has all authority. So he has the authority to command. It's a commandment to the church. So sometimes we understand this command in terms of individuals, something like this. Jesus commands and go and make disciples. So will you, are you, uh, come be a missionary. So that's a legitimate application, but there's a lot more to say and to do. And we'll see that. But first let me point out that because Jesus has all authority, the outcome is guaranteed. So that should really motivate us as we obey. It should keep us from being discouraged by setbacks and it should fix our eyes on the glory of the outcome. Remember the end of this passage that we're looking at in Peter, that they may glorify God in the day of visitation. So to dig a little deeper into the task, as a church, we're commanded to make disciples, as it says here, of all nations. So most of you will know that this is, this is all ethnic groups, all people groups. Um, it doesn't mean necessarily going to every country um, that wasn't in mind. So go means crossing cultural, ethnic, racial, and even geographic boundaries. So for instance, we've traveled and worked in Africa, um, but there are thousands, tens of thousands, of people from Somalia living in Minneapolis. Uh, so for people in Minneapolis, working with them is cross-cultural missions. Not crossing a geographic boundary, but crossing a cultural boundary. Of course, we're to be loving our neighbor, speaking and living the gospel where we live to people like us. That's not primarily what's meant by missions. Missions is going to places and people where the church is not established or where the church is few in number and needs help to take up their part of the kingdom growth story. So, as I've said, you partnered with us when we worked among Muslims in Nigeria and in England. You support the Jones, Joneses. Um, both families working in West Africa and Burkina Faso. You sent an intern um, to work with the team in Malaysia, working among the Rohingya. You've been supporting Mac and Chris as he's helped send chaplains to work among service people, uh, an unreached people group, a people where that is crossing a cultural boundary. Uh, if you were in Sunday school, you heard in the video that Max showed how a chaplain had to learn almost a new language to couch things uh, in different terms in order to be effective in that context. You heard how 
about the needs in Alaska, a place where the church is, is weak and where there's a lot of darkness and missionaries need to be sent and how Mark is helping support that effort. Making disciples in this command, the Great Commission, includes baptizing, so it's initiating new believers into God's family, the church, and teaching the scriptures, teaching people how to obey all that Christ has told us. So I've said that this is a command for the whole church. Uh, it's a command for Pinewoods Presbyterian. The passage in 1 Peter makes it clear that the task of proclaiming is for a people. The New Testament shows by example that the mission task is carried out by churches. So think of the church in Antioch that sent out Paul and Barnabas under direct under under the direction of the Holy Spirit. Think of Paul's writing to the Philippians to commend them for their participation and support with him, their partnership. Think of what he wrote to the Romans, anticipating that they would help him on his way to Spain. So obedience to this command to go and make disciples of all nations is part, of being, is part of being the body of Christ, part of being under the kingship of Christ. So I'm pretty sure that even now, if each and every one present today wanted to go and work with an unreached people group, that most of you would not be able to for completely legitimate reasons. So how do you obey this command to go and make disciples of all nations as Pinewoods Presbyterian? So I'm going to suggest two ways, sending and supporting, and finish by talking about those. So first, sending. So Concord, I'm sorry, Pinewoods Presbyterian Church should be raising up new missionaries from among your congregation and sending them out. So what might that look like? So if you look here in your brochure again, there are some strategies. Are you being called? So consider doing one or all of the following. Read a book about mission strategy. Read about a famous missionary. Attend a short-term short -term missions trip. Um, and others. Raising up missionaries means having missions encounter weekends. It means having missionaries come and speak through the year in order to keep missions as an active topic of church conversation. It means teaching about missions in Sunday school, both for children and for adults. It means encouraging the reading of missionary biographies or mission strategy books like you've done. It might mean that you see those that are gifted in teaching or in serving, people that are vital parts of your team here, that are doing ministry, 
And the elders asked them, have they considered missions? It means being ready as a church to send, to have the mindset that we must send out workers. I'm encouraged to see that in your goals here on the first page that it's not just financial and even not just financial in prayer, but that there's a goal for sending three people to expectant, expectantly explore a career in missions. Part of MTW's Mission to the World's 1% Challenge. Mission to the World, our denomination's mission agency, has encouraged churches to join the 1% Challenge, to pray that every church in our denomination would send out 1% of its members as cross-cultural workers. And I know that you have been part of that prayer effort. Mission to the World has put hub leaders, uh, so we've set up hubs around the U.S. in different regions to help to be closer to churches, to help them develop their missions program, to think about their part, the church's part in recruiting and how to create an environment that encourages sending. So you obey the Great Commission by sending, and you obey by supporting. So you've been doing that and doing it well for many years. You began supporting Jan and me, like I said, in 1988, when we were preparing to go in to Kenya. You continued as we worked in northern Nigeria with the Fulani, in England with South Asian Muslims, and global leadership with MTW's Muslim-focused ministries. Now as you continue to support us in our new role, you're not only supporting us, but you're also, through us, having involvement with all of MTW's missionaries as we direct and develop our organization's member care. You've supported us financially and we're very, very grateful. That's one of the facets of supporting, giving money generously and sacrificially to support missions. So um, you have probably in your hand, or you have a chance to have one in your hand, this missions support card. So I would assume that throughout the year, that you're encouraged to tithe and give regularly for the ministry of the church. Uh, this is asking for faith promise, as it says uh, in your brochure. It's asking you to, to make a pledge for what God would have you give beyond your normal, regular giving uh, for the missionary task, for the proclamation of the gospel to people who otherwise have very little chance to hear. So I would encourage you to pray, to ask God to lay on your heart what he would have you to do, to ask him what will he supply to you so that you can give it for the task of world missions and fill that in um, and turn it in. However, supporting is not just financial giving, as important as that is. It's also praying. 
So some from this church have been praying regularly for us pretty much for the entire 30 plus years that we've been involved in missions. And praying means not just saying, God bless the missionaries. So, some, so Jan and I um, have a regular prayer time together and we do pray for missions. We pray for missionaries. Um, sometimes we do when we're feeling a bit tired or don't have much time, we will jokingly say, God bless the missionaries. Um, but that's not, that's not really specific enough. Praying means keeping in contact and keeping informed so that your prayers for your missionaries are specific and focused. On our display table over here in the fellowship hall, we have a handout that Jan wrote about praying for and caring for your missionaries. So on one side, it's prayer requests. On the other side, care suggestions. Now, I would encourage you to take one of those and to use that. Um, take one of our bookmarks there that has member care prayer request, uh, a request for each of the letters of member care. Take one of our refrigerator magnets with the question, who cares? Um, and use that to remind yourself to pray because you care. Praying specifically implies that supporting is not just done financially and with prayer, but that it's done relationally. It's done caringly. Jan and I work with, the, with Mission to the World's member care department and we're putting into place structures that help us care for our missionaries as they face the challenges, the many challenges of cross-cultural ministry. So this past week, um, I've been very busy trying to set up structures, to set up ways uh, to help care for our missionaries who have evacuated from Ukraine. Uh, we've tried to figure out a good response to that crisis. But it's not structures that care, it's people who care. It takes relationships. So as a church, you have a particular responsibility to those who are sent out from your congregation. But also by committing to support financially, you should also be committing to to keep informed about the work, about the family life, about the ups and downs of the missionaries you're involved with. So I would encourage you not to just settle for a once or twice a year newsletter. Uh, you should be definitely getting those, but you should have more contact than that. It takes more than that to build a relationship. Some of our supporting churches assign the care of a missionary to a particular small group, and then that small group represents them and to the congregation and seeks ways to build the relationship. Others have a dedicated prayer ministry that keeps in touch to have up-to-date needs and answers to prayer. So supporting includes finances, financial giving. It includes prayer. It includes relationship, and it includes care. And finally, 
let me suggest that supporting should be done strategically. So Mission to the World, for instance, has over 600 long-term missionaries. Many of them need financial support. There are literally thousands of other great ministries going on uh, that need financial support. So, of course, all of those aren't going to be calling Joel and asking, can I come to Pine Woods and see if anyone will support us. But it is quite likely that you get plenty of requests, I'm guessing. Likely, your missions committee and session have to make difficult decisions. So those decisions need to be made strategically. Different churches set priorities differently by relationships. So we support those from our congregation, then those from our presbytery, um, etc. Or by work focus, we support people who are doing refugee work, or we support people who are doing church planting, or we support people who are working in the Muslim world. Or it might be by people group focus. Our church supports efforts among the Somali, or among Pakistanis, or among Iranians. It's important to have a focus that relates to your congregation, to have a missions vision and strategy that can direct how you give, and how you pray, and how you care. And again, our MTW hubs have people in close by that can help churches as they think through a mission strategy. Coming back to where we started, you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, God's own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who has called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Pinewoods Presbyterian Church has a vital role in making disciples of all nations. And as you explore your role, as you grow in it, and as you see the kingdom growing because of your partnership, you're sending, you're supporting financially and through prayer. As you see your participation in mission, in God's mission, having fruit, you'll glorify God and you'll find great joy. Let me pray. Loving Father, we do thank you that you've given us the privilege of being part of your mission in the world, that you're calling people to yourself, that you're establishing your church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Thank you that we can take part in that. And I do pray that you would continue to direct this church, this congregation, as they proclaim your excellencies. May you be praised. Amen.